So tonight we're going to continue looking at the subject of giving, giving as God gives. So with this, it'll um, be a message that is just tying several verses together, and I'll often go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Those chapters have a lot to teach us about giving, so that's kind of the kind of home, home base for us uh, in, in this study. So learning how to give as God gives. Last time uh, I mentioned that we were going to look at this in really two larger sections. The first section is why should we give generously? And the second part would be how should we give uh, generously? And, and really the, the why should we give is looking at your motives, why, why to give, whereas the second part, how should we give, looks at the, the principles and, and there we'll get into the issue of, of tithe and what tithe is and all that. But tonight we're just going to continue looking at part one. So last week we looked at really two subparts, uh, two reasons why we should give generously. The first one is that we are to give generously to worship God. Um, you know, obviously that, that is the, the primary reason everything else falls under that, that we should give uh, to worship God. It is an, it is an act of worship to give to the Lord. And then secondly, we give generously to amplify God's grace. We become conduits of his grace uh, that he pours out in his divine sovereignty. He uses us um, as a means to, to pour out his grace upon others. So by giving, we become channels of his grace. We become means of, of amplifying or magnifying the Lord's grace um, and how he brings help to others. So where we're going to start tonight is with that third, uh, third reason why to give generously. We give generously to participate in the Lord's work. So you can open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8. And I read the whole thing last time, so I won't do that this, this time. But in particular, I want to highlight verses 1 to 5 uh, to start with. Verses 1 to 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So what are, what are some, some things we can glean from this about giving? Well, the, the, the thing we need to see here is that the churches of Macedonia gave, Paul says there, according to their ability and even beyond their ability. And even if we were to back up a little bit, you would see in verse 2 um, that, that they had a deep poverty. So it's not as if the Macedonian churches, and notice there's a plurality, there's, there's churches here, not just one church. Macedonia speaks of a region, not a city. So it's these churches in, in Macedonia gave... Um, not not because they just had an abundance of wealth. They had way too much. They were all living like plush lifestyles. 
So that's just, as we talk about motives, you just have to look at that and say, no matter where you're at in the economic scheme, wherever God has you and your job and everything else, you can never look at your life and say, well, I don't have enough money to give. But you can just look at their example. They, they are so eager to participate in the Lord's work. You can hardly, Paul, Paul could hardly restrain them. Look, look, at, look at the eagerness. They gave, out of their deep poverty, they gave according to their ability. So he's acknowledging that they gave things they have. Like people now can give, um, give to the, you can't give to the church on a credit card, but you can give to your, your organization, you know, a parachurch ministry. Um, you, you, can, you can actually go in debt to give. I couldn't do that here, and I wouldn't recommend that. They're giving what they had, but keep in mind they gave out of their deep poverty. It reminds me of the time uh, early, many, many years ago, when Ron and I were just married, we went to Jamaica on a missions trip, and we did not go to the, uh, the touristy areas. We went to the very poor areas, and we went to the villages kind of uh, out in the countryside where um, deep poverty. But when they provided a meal for us, they killed the chickens and the goats for us, right? put a meal in front of us. So that, that's what we're talking about. Um, you know, they didn't have a lot, but what they did have, they were very generous with. And that, that's what Paul is saying, that out of, their, out of their ability and even beyond their ability, if you were to look at, you know, Paul knew them, so he could say, I, I know these people. I, I know they, they, really, they really shouldn't have given that much, but, but they did. And... So he, he's just really beyond himself in a way because he says, I testify that according to their building, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. And this was not driven by legalism. It wasn't driven by Paul like being a slick marketeer and, and a, a you know, giving campaign. It wasn't that at all. He, they, they found out about a need and, and Paul really couldn't restrain them. They, they were begging. Look at verse four, begging us with much urging for what? the favor of participating. And, and that, that uh, in the English, uh, urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. It's interesting that word favor there is the Greek word charis or, or grace, a favor, gratitude, gift. Right? So they, they recognized the grace that they had received and wanted to participate in giving sharing that grace on to others. So it kind of bleeds into what we're already talking about. But, but the idea here is they wanted to participate with God's work. And God's work not only involves gospel ministries, but in this case involved helping a church that desperately needed some financial help. And so they, they were, wanted to participate. They were eager. And, and Paul says there in verse 5, they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So it wasn't like they were doing this for their own fame. They, when, they, when they gave, and I'll mention this later, when they gave, they, they had no idea Paul was going to mention this. They weren't giving so that their names or their church would be written in New Testament history. Right? They were just giving of themselves to God, to the Lord. And then let your eyes go down to verse 12. Look at verses 12 to 15 to kind of reinforce this same idea. And he, he's talking to the Corinthians who had kind of pledged themselves to, to give a gift, but, but hadn't actually done it yet. 
And he says, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by the way of equality, that at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance may also become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. So, you know, again, just reinforcing the fact that God um, often uses us as a conduit through which his blessings flow. Uh, when when th- there are times in our lives where God gives us more than we need. And, and many people, including many Christians, when they get a raise or have more than they need, they don't stop to reflect on, maybe this raise isn't for me. Maybe this, maybe my bump up in salary isn't so I can bump up my standard of living, right? So it's it's not wrong to bump up your standard of living. I'm not making that case. What I'm saying is, let's pause and reflect upon why did God give me this raise? Why did he give me the extra income? It might be, uh, like we talked about saving in the future. Maybe you give some, you save more. That This is an individual decision, so please uh, please understand me. I'm not... Um, I'm not certainly arguing from a legalistic sense. That's not the exact opposite, in fact, that this is an eager giving. But let's let's pause and reflect upon how can we participate in the Lord's work in greater ways? And that should be driven by a, a desire of our lives. And and MacArthur notes here that, that the idea is that the body of Christ, that in the body of Christ, some believers who have more than they need should help those who have far less than they need. And this is, this is not, however, a scheme to re- redistribute wealth within the church, but rather to meet basic needs. I think that's important in our society. Our society misunderstands these. And some churches twist this verse, verses like these, to say, see, you know, we're, some who have more give to those who have less. Yes, willingly. But, it, but again, it was to meet a need. The, the Macedonian believers and the Corinthians who participated in this uh, later did not give uh, to try to redistribute the wealth so that everybody would have an equity of outcome. That's that's not the issue. But that all needs would be met um, through God's provisions. So in, add on these a couple other, several other verses that talk about participating in the Lord's work. Think about 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, where Paul says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So God commands us to be rich in good works. And these requires at times we be generous with the riches that God has given us. And you might think, well, I'm, I'm not rich. And of course, if you looked at the millionaires of the world and even some um, half millionaires in the world, you know, the people around us, yeah, okay, I would say that most of us aren't rich if you look at them. But just take a wider, spread your context around to other places, even the United States. Take a drive through West Virginia or uh, go wider than that. Um, you know, look at those in, in Mexico or those uh, in South America or other places of the world that, that are really, uh, if, if you compare our standard of living with their standard of living, you're, all of us in this room 
no matter what your income level is, all of you are rich compared to how some people live. So, or Jamaica, like I mentioned. So it's, 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 most of that is, is relative. Um, and we just need to realize that, that God wants to use us. You know, he prepares these good works, for, good works ahead of time for us. And so we need to just be prepared to walk in them and to do them for his glory. Think about, too, uh, how Paul uh, responded to the Philippians gift. He says in Philippians 1, verses 3 to 5, I thank my God in all my, all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in, in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So they, they, this church couldn't go with Paul, but by supporting him, providing support for him, they participated. It is a real participation. It's, the word participation isn't just a marketing term that's thrown around to try to convince you to give. In, in the Lord's work, part, when you support a, a missionary, a pastor, in this case, they were supporting Paul, that was a genuine participation in the work that Paul was doing. So when, when Paul ministered and it honored the Lord, right, part of the benefit of that accrues to those who help support him. That honors God. That pleases the Lord. And that's, that's how the Lord provides and becomes a blessing to, to those missionaries and, and to the apostles themselves that went around preaching. Uh, in addition, uh, our giving enables the work of the ministry even here at the church. So I mentioned 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. The elders who rule well are to, to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and a laborer is worthy of his wages. So you participate in the Lord's work by your faithful giving uh, to this church so I can do what I'm doing, so I can devote myself to the study of God's word, to prayer and shepherding people. And I'm very thankful that you are very diligently doing that. So thank you. But is it, again, it is a real participation. It's not like a club that you pay your dues in and you're just, you're just kind of a member because you, you're paid. You're, you're a member because you're in Christ. But, but the, the giving is a, particip, a participation in the work of the Lord that he's doing here at Medina Bible Church. And you can also think about, uh, as far as the missionary sense, Third uh, John verse uh, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verses 5 to 8. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So we participate with God's work in, in places we will never go by, by uh, supporting missionaries uh, so that they can go and so they can stay there and be faithful there. So that's, that's very important work. Um, so without, without us giving, those that are doing the Lord's work couldn't do what they do. Lord, Lord provides. He would provide for his people, but he provides through means. So the Lord provides through his people. And then, and then there's something that we don't maybe um, don't often reflect upon, maybe just because of the, the culture here in Medina, but God cares how we treat the poor, what I call the deserving poor. Of course, there are the poor who are poor because they won't work, they're on, they're on drugs, we do need to try to help them, but that's kind of a different scenario. When someone is able to work but won't work, the, the Bible has very different instructions for, for that person than the person who is what we call the undeserving poor. Um, they're not, you know, due to no fault of their own. 
due to unfortunate circumstances, providential circumstances in many cases of the Lord. Uh, they, they are poor and God cares how we respond to them and how we treat them. God wants us to treat them with compassion and love. Ezekiel 16, 49 says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and the needy. So God is rebuking his people for living at ease, all the while there were people that are in need, and they were ignoring those needs. Proverbs 14, 31 says, that He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. So by being gracious uh, to those who are in need, uh, we honor our Lord. Proverbs 21, 13 says, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. Proverbs 22, 9 says, He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. So we, we, we should be generous to the poor. And lots of times this may, you may be helping poor Christians. Other times you may be helping poor unbelievers and it's an opportunity to proclaim Christ to them. Um, and so much wisdom is needed, and I won't go on that rabbit trail right now, but much wisdom is needed when we're giving to the poor to try to discern whether they're deserving poor or whether they're just being lazy and, and not working. So, um, you know, it's as, hard as, as, as harsh as it sounds, the Bible says, to those who are able to work but are lazy, the Bible tells us not to give them anything um, so that they'd be hungry. And you say, well, that's bad. Well, the intention is that their hunger pains would convince them that they need to start working. That's, that's the intention. Uh, but to those that are not able to work, uh, then, then we, are, um, we want to be able to be gracious and help them. And I understand our government provides a lot of help. What I'm talking about is that, you know, those that fall between the cracks. If you see a, you see a need and you can meet the need, then, then why not meet that need if you can? And, and again, you have to look at the particulars of that situation. And if you need help uh, thinking through that, please feel free to, to give me a call and we'll talk through it. So our, uh, the reason that we can be giving away things, notice how the Macedonians gave things they probably need because he said they gave beyond their ability. So they could have said back and said, you know, we're, we're going to need this, whatever it was. You know, I don't know what they sold in order to give the money. They, they, I'm sure they could have justified, legitimately justified keeping it, but, but they didn't. They gave it up. And they gave it up knowing that God was going to supply everything that they needed. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8, 8 to 10 tell us that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Notice that. You'll have an abundance for what? For every good deed. For, for pursuing those good deeds that God puts in front of us. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So notice that God's going to provide sufficiently for you to, to walk in those good works that he has prepared. Remember, we often go back to, to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, about how you're saved by, by faith. And even that faith is, is not, of, not of your own. It's a gift of God. And then verse 10 says that, the, that God has saved us um, for those good works so that we would walk in them. He's prepared those good works. So these good works, the good works he's included are, are far-ranging. But one, one subset of those good works is the aspect of of giving and meeting a need. And he's supplying um, 
you to have an abundance to meet that need for every good work. So why should we give generously? First, we're to give generously to worship God. Secondly, to amplify God's grace. Thirdly, to participate in God's work. And, and the, this fourth one, the next one, dovetails with that, in with this. We give generously to invest in God's kingdom. And it is an investment. It's, it is working with him, but it's also an investment. Think about what we read in 2 Corinthians 9, look at verses uh, 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 and 11. I just, I just read it, but I'll reread it. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So here, here's an aspect. Think about that term, the harvest of your righteousness. He's using the analogy, a farming analogy. You plant seed, and then the har- farmer plants the seed. Why? To reap a harvest. So here the context is that of giving. And you, you'll see that, um, uh, in, like in verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That is, for your, for your generosity. You, you're, you're going to be enriched in everything so that you can give lib- lib- uh, with liberality. And, and this is like a seed. That, that you're going to then reap a harvest of your righteousness. Now, this isn't the prosperity gospel where, where you're giving in order to get or you're giving in order to be you know, a millionaire. That, that's not the idea here. You're, you are storing up treasures in, in heaven for a righteousness yet to come, for a righteous uh, benefit yet to come. This isn't talking about the righteousness that you're justified by with. You, you can't add to that. That's perfect. That's completed. This is, this is talking about the practical righteousness, right? So you're sowing seeds of, of these, of what he says, of righteousness. It'll increase the harvest of righteousness. So Paul uses this imagery of a farmer to, to help us understand the concept that he's trying to teach. What he's saying is there's a principle of reaping and sowing, of sowing and reaping, the right order, sowing and reaping, um, that's throughout the Bible, right? So God wants us to understand that we will reap what we sow. Right? So again, this isn't, this isn't talking about justification. What we're talking about here is general principles of life and the fact that if you are, are faithful uh, to sow the right kind of seeds, there is a benefit to that. Right? And I'll just say just at the end, when we're all in heaven, no matter what benefits we receive, no matter what rewards we receive, at the end, we're just going to all cast our crowns um, before the Lord, and um, it's all His. Right? So it's, even in heaven, there's still nothing that any of us can take credit for because the Lord supplied everything we needed in order to do that. You know, It's like God supplied the seed for the farmer, and, and all He asks of the farmer is to plant it, and then... The farmer, you know, gets gets um, gets to see that crop come up, but it's not really the farmer's crop because he was given the seed, so he didn't buy the seed, right? So in reality, farmers buy their seeds. But the analogy that Paul's using here is that God provides that seed. He's just asking you to plant it. He's asking you to use it so there would be a harvest. There would be an increase uh, over what you uh, supplied. So that's that's the imagery. And, and notice, look, 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 let your eyes look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Uh, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um, so again, the idea is there of sowing. So this is, this is talking about giving, but just to go into the uh, arena of evangelism a minute. 
one reason why the church today doesn't see a greater harvest is because it sows seeds sparingly. So either because we're afraid to present the gospel, we we shrink back from declaring the gospel. And, And this is not a condemnation on us. I'm just trying to encourage you to sow generously god god is going to do what he wants to do with those seeds when you proclaim the gospel um you're not responsible for the results god is right? just like when a farmer plants that seed he can't make it grow right god does so it's true in evangelism too but we need to be a church who is who is sowing those seeds generously right so back kind of back on on topic um just to reinforce this, think about Galatians 6, 7. There Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And then you can add to that Matthew six nineteen, where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Add to this a uh, passage we already looked at, but I'll read it again. First Timothy 6.17, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future. So there's the idea there of a treasure of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of which is life indeed. Again, he's not talking about giving money so you can earn entrance into heaven. That can't be done. Right? We only gain entrance into heaven through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through trusting in him and him alone. So this is talking about a reward that that God provides to those who are faithful to obey his word, to pursue those, to be rich in good works. And we could add to this Philippians 4.15, where Paul says, You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. It's Philippians 4, 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So there's spiritual benefits in heaven to giving towards the Lord's work here. It's an investment. Okay, it's an investment. The Lord is not obligated to uh, to make you rich on this earth, like the prosperity gospel tells you. you know, if you give give your money, it's like seed money. See, they use scriptures or they just twist them and they make them mean other things. So this isn't seed money to make you rich. But what, what this is, is you investing in the kingdom of God and the Lord will bring benefit from that. Again, where you put your money, that's where your heart's going to be. That's where your heart's going to be. So that, that's, that's what the Lord is trying to teach us. So, you know, we, we want to give 
in, in his book, in Randy Elkhorn's book, uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, um, he, he says he gives this illustration of the wisdom and value of making eternal investments. So it's a, it's a longer quote, but um, it's an illustration, actually. I just want to quote that uh, uh, from him. Imagine for a moment that you are alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but your home is really the North. While in the South, you have accumulated a good amount of Confederate currency. Suppose you know that the North is going to win the war soon. What will you do with your Confederate money? If you're smart, there's only one answer to the question. You would cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have value once the war is over. You would keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your basic needs for that short period until the war was over. The currency of this world will be worthless at our death or at Christ's return, both of which are imminent. For us to accumulate vast earthly treasures in face of the inevitable future is the equivalent of to stockpiling Confederate money. The only currency of value in heaven is our present service and generous giving to the Lord's kingdom. Jim Elliot, the martyred missionary, said it this way, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So, so why do we give? We, we give to worship God. We give to amplify God's grace. We give to participate in his work. We give to invest in his kingdom. And I want to at least get started in this next point, uh, five. We give generously to prove the sincerity of our love. We give to prove the sincerity of our love. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, 8, verses 8 to 9. Told you that was Second Corinthians eight and nine had a lot to teach us, so we keep keep coming back to to those to the, that, those chapters. Here, here Paul is emphasizing as he's speaking to the Corinthian church and just exhorting them that to, to finish what they said they were going to do. He, he's stirring them up, and, and he says, "I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also." For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, why does he bring the example of our Lord in right there? Because he's an example of that we would not know the love of God unless the love of God became very practical and met a need. In fact, not a need, our greatest need. So our Lord became poor so that we would be made rich, not in the financial sense, but in the spiritual sense. We were poor and bankrupt, and, and he could meet that need, and he chose to do that. So what Paul is saying is, is we know that God loves us because he died for us on the cross. Right? So I know sometimes we're tempted to think, God, if you love me, why are you allowing this to happen? Or we'll say, God, if you love me, you'll, you know, why are you allowing... Um, uh, me to lose my job, or, you know, God, if you love me, why do you allow my spouse to die or my child to die? But the greatest lesson of love, God's love that we we have to learn is, has already been given to us, and that's in the cross. And sometimes we just kind of overlook it for the more timely, um, the things that are more in the here and now, right? But the greatest object lesson of God's love for us is his giving of his son on the cross. And so, Paul is using this as an analogy to, to say that, that if we say that we love our brethren, right, then, then 
that comes with something. That comes with an, not only an expectation, but it comes with a responsibility and it comes with a privilege of then stepping up. In other words, love does. Love's an action. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about what love, not, not doesn't give us adjectives, it gives us actions. Right? Those are verbs about what love does. So what Paul is saying here is that He's calling the Corinthian church to show the sincerity of their love. Prove the sincerity of your love for the, for the, for the believers, in this case, the poor believers in Jerusalem. That's, that's what the collection was for. And so prove the sincerity of your love by finishing this collection. He's not even telling them how much, but, but to, to, to do this. The love of the brethren is, is, um, is a kind of serving practical uh, love. Um, think about James 2, 14 to 17. James 2, verses 14 to 17. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So just think about that. Our faith in Jesus Christ, our love for Jesus Christ, is made visible by doing good works. In this case, by meeting the need that's right in front of us. Um, God is never going to ask you to meet a need that you can't meet. So if you see a need you, a need you can't meet, you can might be part of the answer by getting others to help out. But it's, it's not, God isn't laying on you like a, a heavy weight. So this this. First and James isn't isn't saying um, isn't laying a burden of guilt on anybody that that can't meet the need, but it's the one who who sees the need of a brother or sister in Christ has the ability to meet that need, and you won't give. All you'll do is you'll say you'll give them a blessing or you'll pray with them, say be warm, be filled. But you you have the means to meet the need, and you're not meeting the need. So uh, love has uh, ramifications. Love has uh, very practical implications for us. So um, we, we should give them a warm greeting and pray with them, but we should also do more than that if, if we can. Along those lines, uh, John echoes this in 1 John 3, 1 John 3, verses 17, 16 and 17. He says, We know love by this, that he, that Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So if you see brother or sister in need and have the ability to help them, the logical and the God-honoring um, response is to meet that need. It's, it's the response of agape love, that self-giving, the love that gives itself for the good of the other. So... Um, you know, in fact, John would say in in First John three, he he would make the argument that if this if this is a regular habit of your life that you see needs and you just close your heart to them, that you don't even know God, you don't even know God. No matter what verbal profession that you're making, again, that's that's a pattern of your life, not a one time thing. Um, honoring God in our giving requires love. Remember. Right? So love, this is, this is where they, they work together. Right? So love requires us to give, to meet the needs in front of us. But it is possible to meet the need in front of you without love. And what does Paul say about that? 
1 Corinthians 13.3. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me what? A little bit? Talk about investments, right? This, this is the, this is like, this can be um, likened to the guy who goes to Las Vegas, takes his entire fortune to Las Vegas, blows it all, and comes away with nothing. Nothing. Nothing to show. Right? So that's what Paul's saying. It's nothing. You can give everything you have. But if you don't do it with love, it profits you nothing. Right? Nothing at all. So that's why I said earlier that, that giving doesn't earn salvation. Giving in and of itself doesn't earn salvation. It doesn't really earn anything if you're not doing it with the motivation to love God. So all the commands flow back to either love of God or loving our neighbor. And that's what the Lord um, desires for us to do in uh, our giving. So we'll, we'll stop there. There, there are um, just a few more that we'll cover um, the next time. Remember, next week we won't be meeting, so it'll be two weeks from now. Um, due to Thanksgiving and um, everything that's, that's going on next week, we won't have uh, a meeting next week, but uh, we'll pick up there next time. So remember that. Why should we give generously? We are to give generously to worship God, to amplify God's grace, to participate with God's work, to invest in God's kingdom, and to prove the sincerity of our love. And there are, uh, as I mentioned, several other important reasons that we'll get to uh, next time. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Our Lord, we just thank you that you include us in the work of the ministry that you are doing among us. And I just pray, Lord, that you will take this church that has been so generous, Lord, in the years that I have uh, ministered here, this church has always been a generous church. And I thank you for that. I praise you for that. And Lord, I just ask that you would just um, increase their ability to, to be generous, increase their generosity. Lord, that, that we as a church might be able to invest more and do more in your kingdom both monetarily and investing, supporting missionaries and the work of the ministry, but also in a spiritual sense, investing ourselves by spreading of the gospel. And just pray that you would use us, Lord, um, as a, as a, in a human sense, in a, as a small and feeble church, Lord, to do much for you, that in the fact that you would do much through us, that you would get the glory. Please help us to, to do this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.